Hello and welcome to Joe's Boys. This is a podcast for little women, little men, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. I'm the author of the novel Both Sides Now. I'm also a writer for publications like Vanity Fair and the New York Times. Before I introduce today's guest, I just want to say that something very special happened this past week. I was able to meet Timothy Chalamet and chat with him about the podcast. It was completely out of the blue and totally unexpected. He came to the Yorkdale Cineplex here in Toronto to promote Wonka. I was able to go and speak to him a little bit about Joe's Boys. He was like, so it's all little women. (laughs) And I was like, yes, chapter by chapter. (laughs) It was very cool. Um, I didn't have a press pass or anything. It was just a short, so much short notice, but just a quick chat on the barricade, but still very cool. And that brings me to my next point, which is that I'm currently booking guests for the last few chapters of the book and for a very special event next spring, which I am calling March Madness <laughs> for the exactly for the five Fridays in March of 2024. We'll be covering the five major film adaptations of Little Women. So I'll be reaching out. I, I have been reaching out to people who were involved with those films in various capacities. And there are two things that you can do listening at home right now to help us book these guests and set up some really cool conversations. You can rate us, one, and you can review us, two. So if you want to take a second to just open your podcast app, leave a rating, write us a few words of a review, that would really help us out. Okay, now on to today's very special guest, dare I say iconic guest, Martha Nell Smith. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Peyton? I am so good. So Martha, for those who don't know, is the distinguished scholar teacher, professor of English, and founding director of the Maryland Institute of Technology in the Humanities at the University of Maryland. She is the president of the Emily Dickinson International Society and the coordinator and executive editor of the Dickinson Electronic Archives at the University of Virginia. She is the editor and writer of countless works on the life and poetry of Emily Dickinson. And the film Wild Nights with Emily is largely based on her scholarship. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that we largely have Martha to thank for our contemporary understanding of Emily Dickinson's romantic and sexual relationship with Susan Huntington Gilbert Dickinson. Martha, we are so happy to have you here. <laughs> I am very happy to be here. And by the way, I'm no longer I'm a past president of the Emily Dickinson oh. International Society. My but apologies. I was president for five years. Yeah. She was the president for five years. Now someone else has the job, but obviously you are a lion, a titan of Dickinson scholarship. Wild Nights with Emily, we mentioned we had Elena Smith on the podcast a few weeks ago. And she obviously was very influenced by you and your work. So it's so cool to have you here. I'm really nerding out. Well, she's done a fabulous job as Madeline Olnick with Wild Nights with Emily. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very happy to have you here. So we've talked about this a little bit just off mic but and setting this up. But a lot of the project of this podcast and of my own work, both my fiction and my journalism, is exploring the possibility that Louisa May Alcott may best be understood as a trans man, mm-hmm. and that Little Women may be best understood as a trans text. So I'm curious about your own work excavating Emily's letters to Sue and making that relationship central in our own modern understanding of her. Can you tell me about the responses to your work? How did people react when you published Open Me Carefully, which was the kind of the compilation of those letters? Like, what was the initial reaction? Many people absolutely loved it. However, many Dickinson scholars were like, well, I don't know if they're exaggerating this. Not all of them by any means. I've had a lot of support, but I've also had a lot of pushback. Yeah. And one fan of Dickinson's who considered himself quite a scholar asked to meet me downtown. I live near Washington, D.C., in the People's Republic of Tacoma Park. And I met him, and he started yelling at me. In a very, we were in a tea room in the Willard Hotel, which is where Dickinson stayed. It's a new version of it, but she stayed in a Willard Hotel when she came to visit her father, who was in the represent- a representative in Congress. And... We were having a pleasant time, I thought, and he said, you are ruining Emily Dickinson. (laughs) And 
I said, you don't have to agree with me, but if you look at the record, it's pretty hard to deny that she was in love with Susan Huntington Gilbert Dickinson. And his face was all red. I thought he was going to die of a heart attack right there. But fortunately, I've had a lot more positive responses than that kind of response. And you started working on this because Mm -hmm. I was going through, I was a dissertation student. I was arguing that Dickinson, of course, she published. She used the term publish like her attorney father and brother would use it, publishing, telling, noising abroad. And I started systematically going through her letters and I would see in the letters to her brother several words erased, seven Mm. lines erased, half of a page cut out. And I was like, (gasps) holy moly, what is this? And I won't go on it too much length, but I will say when I started to probe, it was obvious that Dickinson was writing her brother Austin about her love for Susan Gilbert, who was yeah. And this is in Wild Nights with Emily that shows the actual erasing of Susan's Mm -hmm. name and loving expressions about Susan. I. Yeah, I agree. I think it's impossible to argue. And yet there are men yelling at you in public. (laughs) Yes, he was yelling at me in public. And some people in the academy have said, well, you know, women in the 19th century, they just talk to one another that way. (laughs) Building on earlier lesbian scholarship, I pointed out that, well, one of the keys to when women are just talking to each other that way Mm -hmm. is that they're not self-conscious about it. Contrast that with Emily, Mm -hmm. who, when she's writing Susan, says things like, dear Sue, forgive me, forget all what I say. Get some gentle scholar to sing you a hymn about Bethlehem and Mary. And so that's quite self-conscious. So that was my argument. Yes. Well, so I will confess, I I haven't read the letters yet, but I am so looking forward to doing that deep dive and just going crazy. And I'm so glad that I have you. (laughs) You must do that because they're very well. I'm sure they are. Yeah. And actually on that note, I are you aware that there are presently 341 works of fan fiction about Emily and Sue on the internet's premier fan fiction website? And about a third of those are rated M for mature. Did you know that? I did not know that. I knew there was fan <laughs> about Emily and Susan, but how many did you say? 341. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And like I said, about a third of those are M for mature. <laughs> so people well, are having fun. Yeah. They are. And some of those fans, they write me. Yeah. And last week with the executive mm-hmm. director of the Emily Dickinson Museum, Jane Wall. Yeah. I presented with her on (laughs) the Evergreens is, you may not know what that is. That's Susan and Austin Dickinson's house. Oh, yes, I know. Yeah. Yeah. And we had quite a crowd for that. And I've been reading emails ever since last Monday (laughs) night. So, Oh, that's lovely. I am so happy to hear that. I'm glad to hear that there are fewer men screaming at you until their faces turn red these days. I am they've so glad up. that they've given up. You won. <laughs> you won. And I think you, you're you used to, there are, I'm so glad that there's more openness now to understanding the historical record in this way. There's an avoidance of silence and just a refusal to accept that. And I think, like I said, you're such a big part of that. So I just wanted to really thank you before we get into a discussion about Dickinson's contemporary, Louisa May Alcott, Lou Alcott. What would you say yeah. is your relationship to Little Women? Well, I would say that I was first given Little Women when I was quite young. I can't remember exactly. I was probably 10, 11, 12, because I was quite a reader. And at first, I was quite a tomboy for my Christmas and birthday present. Mm-hmm. I would get things like footballs and Tonka trucks and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. some of my parents' friends worried about that. She oh. should be playing with dolls. And I'm like, 
So I saw the title and I thought, oh, I don't know about that. But I was an (laughs) inveterate reader. And so I started reading and I thought, oh, this character, Joe, I like her. I found her tomboyish is something you see often attached to Joe. She says things like, I'm the man of the house now. When her father goes (laughs) off to fight in the war, I'm like, I like this character a lot. So that was my first experience with Little Women. And then you'll have to forgive me, but I didn't really read it since then until you invited me to this wonderful (laughs) podcast. And so I've been, it's just so pleasurable. I've been reading it aloud to my partner, aloud to our dogs. (laughs) And it's just, it's really wonderful. So I encourage everybody to read it. Yes. If you are on chapter 43 of this podcast and you have not yet read it, I mean, <laughs> run, don't walk. I, I'm so glad that you're rediscovering it. I, I don't blame you at all for setting it aside. You were busy a few miles away in Massachusetts. You were in Amherst instead of Concord. It, it happens. You were with Dickinson. But speaking of, which March sister are you? And for the purposes of this podcast, Lori is a March sister. Of course, Lori is a March sister. I, yes. <laughs> but I'm not Lori. No, I'm not Lori. But I guess, and I don't know how many people say this, I would have to be Joe because mm-hmm. I really, I love that character. Yeah. And now I did have some experiences with little women over the past, say, what is it, 20 years with the two most recent film Right. And I especially loved Greta Gerwig's. I mean, I just... Yeah. We went to see it and I was like, okay, I, this woman gets it, I think. Boy, does she. <laughs> yeah, she really does. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I've yeah. been reading things she said about Lori and what does she say? She says that Lori and Joe are androgynous twins. Yes, they find each other before they've committed to a gender. Exactly. Yes. I was just reading that. Yes. <laughs> and I mean, we are going to... Boy, are we ever going to get into the gender of Joe and Lori in today's episode? Um, Martha, Dr. Smith, what happens in Chapter 43, Surprises? Well, first of all, I would say that I think several things are just so funny. Yes. (laughs) We can get to that in a minute. Lori and Amy return from Paris. Mm -hmm. And? He blurts out, he goes to see Joe before the family is up at, where are they? They're at, they're at home. Oh, they're- yeah, sorry, they're at Meg's. Joe's asleep in, in her attic. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're up at Meg's. He comes down to the house first to talk to Joe. And he blurts out, my wife, when he's talking <laughs> about Amy. And she's like, you're what? What did you say? <laughs> but then he's delighted. And then we get this repartee between Lori and Joe. And there were several places. I mean, there's a point where, you know, and I think Gerwig does this really well, well, where you've got Joe, the writer, i.e. Alcott, and you've got Joe, the character. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's amazing to me what she, yes. and that's in this, I mean, it's in the book. Yep. Yeah. And it's in this chapter for sure. And she's thinking to herself as she's dozing off on the couch, an old maid, that's what I'm to be, a literary spinster with a pen for a spouse. And later on, she says, gentlemen, which means boys. I noticed how many times she does that, refers to boys. I was like, okay. And Joe must have fallen asleep after she gives this whole thing on what it means, how gentlemen should treat literary or spinsters. Mm -hmm. They should be kind and they should be courtly and they should take care of them and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I can read the passage to you, but I think you know it. Oh, yes. And then I burst out laughing when I first read this, that Alcott writes, or Lou writes, Joe must have fallen asleep, as I dare say my reader has, during this little homily. It's so good! So funny. (laughs) It's just hilarious. And I want to thank you 
because this has put me back in touch with the book and I'm realizing how funny it is. Yes. So I'll be teaching Alcott because of you. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Cool. And then later on, Joe, having called Lori a scapegrace, and which means scoundrel or rascal or whatever. I mean, it's kind of an affectionate, funny. And he says that she needs to treat him with more respect. That's my summary. Yes. Yes. She says, how can I, when the mere idea of you married and settled is so irresistibly funny, I can't keep sober. I love that. Yep. And then later, she, how how do you and Amy get on together? And he says, like angels. Yes, of course, at first, but which rules? <laughs> They're just, I love this stuff. Yeah. So then what happens in the chapter? Then Amy comes down with the family or they go anyway, and they're all celebrating Lori and Amy being together. Mm-hmm. And I giggle every time I say Lori because it's just Lori Joe, the whole name thing that just yeah. it tickles me pink, actually. Yeah. And so they're really enjoying that. And then near the end of the chapter, and after we've had our narrator, Alcott, or Lou, or Joe, or mm-hmm. say one of her boyish habits was never to know where her handkerchief was because she had cried a little bit. Yes. And enter Professor Bear. Father, mother, this is my friend, Professor Bear. She said with a face and tone of such irrepressible pride and pleasure that she might as well have blown a trumpet and opened the door with a flourish. That's another time I burst out laughing. I mean, you can hear those trumpets in the text. And then as they are sitting around with the family and Joe is knitting and staring at her knitting so she doesn't betray anything with her facial expressions, Mm -hmm. she, of course, drops her knitting ball, both Professor Bear and Joe dive after it, and their heads bang together. Oh. I mean, that's slapstick funny. Yes, it is. <laughs> so is that's an overview of the chapter. A lot goes yes. on. It's titled Surprises, and the reader gets surprises. Boy, does the reader ever. Thank you, Martha, for that recap. I just want to say I hate this chapter. This chapter is my nightmare. <laughs> I was going to ask you, do you like this chapter? It is so, it just goes out the window, three paragraphs in, and it just, and we leave the planet by the end of the chapter. It is, oh, I am so excited to get into this with you and all of its contradictions and all of its weirdnesses and the way that Alcott wrote, ended this book the way she did and wrote Professor Bear, especially the way she did to bother people, to annoy people, to make people angry. Oh, yeah. And you can see that in this oh, chapter. You definitely can see that. And I think that's yeah. why he makes it so funny, actually. Yeah. There there are sentimental moments. I think there are genuine, reflective moments here. But there's also broad humor, slapstick, parts where she's winking at the reader and saying, isn't this dumb and ridiculous, as you said. Now, Joe had fallen asleep, as I dare say my reader has during this little right, homily, guess, this sermon. <laughs> they're smashing their heads together. Yep. I mean, it's going after a knitting ball, a symbol of domesticity and yes. what women do and all of that. I mean, that is just funny. And then It is. But it's also a mirror of the very first scene in the book where Joe says, I can't get over my disappointment in being a boy. It's bad enough that I'm dying to go fight in the war with Papa. She is knitting a sock and she throws it across the room. It is an exact mirror of that scene. It is. Only in this case, she goes and retrieves the knitting and bonks heads with Professor Bear, her future spouse. It is just... Which... Don't you think she's signaling... That may I call her Lou or should I call her? You Alcott? go ahead. You call her whatever you like. I yeah, I call her Lou all the time. You can use he/him pronouns if you'd like. It is one hundred percent up to you. 
I'm pretty sure Alcott would like that to be called. I think so too. I mean, because she used Lou, right? She, she did. Lou, Louie. Yeah. Very rarely Louisa. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I was looking some things up and I love mm-hmm. to read people's mail. So yes. I'm sure you wrote, know this letter. It's to Elizabeth Powell, mm-hmm. who's an calisthenics instructor, i.e. a gym teacher. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Became dean of Swarthmore. Joe should have remained a literary spinster, but so spinster, but so many enthusiastic young ladies wrote to me clamorously demanding that she should marry Lori or somebody that I didn't <laughs> dare refuse and out of perversity went and made a funny match for her. I yes. expect vials of wrath to be poured out upon my head, but rather enjoy the prospect. I know. And I love her for it. But also, what's this? It's a vial of wrath and I'm pouring it. <laughs> yeah. I so you yeah, you would have liked for Joe to remain unmarried. I have strong thoughts. I So, okay. I have been standing up. This is an audio medium. I have been standing up to record because I'm at my works podcasting studio. But I'm going to sit down now because I need to sit and just... <laughs> this is... I'm sorry. Give me a moment. I need to. Oh, it's fine. Gather myself. I, I understand. Hello, Martha. So, Alcott is writing this chapter. She is writing Joe and Lori as in love with one another, right? Yeah. As, <laughs> as they are talking about the marriage to Amy, and the future, and how they're definitely not. There are no more feelings between them. Both of them are (laughs) speaking, behaving, thinking as though they are in love with one another. And it is the one thing I, we're going to be hopping all over the place, but the one thing that made me insane, okay, is- Hear it with me. This is after they've kind of, the news has come out, they're relaxing, and Lori says, Amy and I can't get on without you. So you must come and teach the children to keep house and go halves and everything, just as exactly. we used to do. And let us pet you and all be blissfully happy and friendly together. Excuse me, Lori. Yes. I, what I wrote in my notes was, I know I married Amy, but what if I married you as well in an explicitly non-sexual, non-romantic context? What are you talking about? Exactly. No, I mean, I. you should see my notes in my copy of the book. I got a new copy of the book for this. And I was like, what? <laughs> it, it's so bonkers. It, I'm just, I'm getting very passionate. That is a bonkers, bananas, coconuts thing to say. So I agree. That and Professor Bear comes over, gets mm-hmm. introduced to the whole entire family, mm-hmm. passes an evening with Amy and Lori, who have just been married and does not know that Amy and Lori are married until the very end of the night when Amy is putting on her hat to go. And he's like, wait, I thought that's your sister. Doesn't she live here? And it's then and only then after the entire evening of socializing that Joe is like, oh no, she's married to Lori. So they live together now. And it's only then that Professor Bear is like, oh, so you are not romantically involved. (laughs) You're available. (laughs) You're available. And I'm like, you just... They are newlyweds. They are home for the first time. Mm-hmm. How do hours go by? I know it even I it is. I'm sorry. I no, don't. I mean, because the what the passage you're referring to. Yes. I was flipping back. You know, I'm reading, sitting on the couch with my partner nearby and my dogs. And I'm yeah. reading. thought, wait a minute. Did I miss something? Seriously. Yeah. So I went back and reread and I said, no, I didn't miss anything. This just boom. Yep. <laughs> yep. It just, they, they just somehow don't mention it at all that two of the people in the room are newly married. It does not come into the conversation. Lori is suspicious of Professor Bear and right. aloof. And then Professor Bear, and this makes me really insane. He seldom spoke to Lori, but he looked at him often, and a shadow, a shadow would pass across his face as if regretting his own lost youth as he watched the young man in his prime. 
Joe is the same age as Lori, and he's gonna he's looking at Lori being like, oh, my lost youth, and then he's gonna go and marry Absolutely not. And not, no, I hate it. Yeah. No, I Miles of Wrath. Sorry. No, I as I was reading this, I thought, I bet you Peyton hates this, but I thought <laughs> <laughs> Well, isn't there something queer about the way the professor is looking at Lori? You oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I that I absolutely buy, and that is a reading that I'm into. That there is envy of Lori. Yeah, desire to be like it was like attraction. Yeah, that's very interesting to me. I think the only film adaptation. Actually, the only time I've ever been on board with Thayer, because I'm not on board with him in any way in the book, is the 1933 version with George Cukor and Catherine Hepburn Catherine as Joe. Catherine Hepburn, yeah. Yeah, because Catherine Hepburn also exp- said things like, I thought I was born as the wrong sex, often wanted to be called Jimmy. We don't have time to get into it, but I think can reasonably also be understood as transmasculine is playing Joe. And then George Cukor, of course, famously a gay director, and what he brings out of Joe's relationship with Professor Bear is something more like an older gay man palling around with a young gay man. It's very non-sexual. They're just friendly <laughs> with one another. It's not. And that clicks for me more than imagining that there's some. I think a lot of this is parody. Oh, yeah. I think it's the bonking the heads while they go for the yarn. That. Lou has to know what she is doing there and thinks it's funny and is riling us up on purpose. Yeah. All of the, I can't imagine that she doesn't know what she's doing when Lori's like, well, I mean, Joe, you're going to have to come over and visit me and Amy all the time and just be in the house with us. Just like before I. Yeah. And he's like, you're going to need to do that and you Mm -hmm. will be. Married to us, but it won't be sexual, except it's erotic, <laughs> except it, I mean, all that's not in sex, but I no. certainly thought that was implied. Well, more than implied, there's a moment here where Joe says that she thought her boy looked comelier than ever. It's like, yes. What? <laughs> She's yeah. never, when has he ever thought he looked comely, first of all? Exactly. <sighs> okay. I would like to, I think we've discussed broad strokes, the stuff that makes us insane yeah. about this chapter. I'd like to now go to kind of a more line by line, starting from the beginning. Okay. Is that okay? So That's fine. And I'm going to, my book in front of me. Fabulous. So we'll head back to the beginning. She says, an old maid, that's what I'm to be, a literary yes. spinster with a pen for a spouse. Yes. And, and that's interesting to me because that is gender neutral language. That is not a pen for a husband. That's right. Gender neutral, which I marked out in my margin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's spouse. Do you know how common the word spouse was? I did not look that up. Yeah. I should have, says the professor, meaning me. No, not- <laughs> no it's okay. I mean, it's a, it's an odd. I was just, because I feel like even today, it's a bit odd to say spouse. It's my partner and I mm-hmm. will call each other spouse. Yeah. And we'll say partner slash spouse. And it catches people <laughs> like, huh? But yes. we don't go for the patriarchal. Yeah. I have no judgment for anybody who does. It's just, we don't go yep. for that. No, absolutely. And I think, so a pen for a spouse, that's interesting to me. That tells me that Alcott knew <laughs> what the connotations of spinster, maid and aunt, old maid would be. Is that they would want a spouse, maybe not a husband. Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that line also made me think of, and this may take us off because mm-hmm. there's no way Lou, our friend Lou would have known this. Mm-hmm. But yes. back in the late 70s, Sandra Gilbert and Susan Gubar wrote a book, Mad Woman in the Attic, about the literary imagination mm-hmm. and literary women of the 19th century. And the first line of that book is, or one of the chapters is, if the pen were a penis, blah, 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 <laughs> and goes, <laughs> but Alcott wouldn't have known about that. No, no. At, and I don't think that Alcott is thinking of the pen as a penis a- no. at all, even though she and the pen spouts are having stories for children. Mm-hmm. What also, and then a, a line later, she says, perhaps when poor Johnson, I'm old. 
Yes. And that's a reference to Samuel Johnson. So right. like, that, she's drawing a comparison between herself and a man. She's not. It's interesting to me that she's reaching for that as her example, rather than any number of these generalized maid and aunts, old maids, spinsters. So that's interesting to me. That's also I, my other literary interest is David Foster Wallace. <laughs> oh, and, okay. uh, and in Infinite Jest, the family dog is named S. Johnson. So I'm always trying to draw the lines. Okay. Samuel Johnson makes an impression yep. in both. <laughs> so solitary and can't share it, independent and don't need it. Well, I dare say old maids are very comfortable when they get used to it, but, and there Joe sighed as if the prospect was not inviting. And I think that's where Greta Gerwig inserted, but I'm so lonely. Yeah. I yeah. did not make a note of that when I was rewatching it the other night, mm-hmm. but I did notice that she does some pretty fascinating insertions as it were. Yeah, she really does. So old maids are very comfortable when they get used to it, but I'm so lonely is one way to complete it. We mm-hmm. just have a sigh. It could be, maybe I don't want to be an old maid. Just like, I don't want to be a young lady. I don't want to be a girl. <laughs> we know what right. Joe really wants to be. She wants to be a man. The, she's reaching even in this moment for, maybe I'm going to be like Samuel Johnson, or maybe my pen is my spouse. There's not, Even as she's fitting mm-hmm. herself into this old maid archetype, the clothes don't go on the right way. Right, that's right. This, yeah, this is the only path available to me, and it's still doesn't seem right, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. Then we get this hilarious sermon about girls begin to talk about, at 25, girls begin to talk about being old maids, but secretly Mm -hmm. resolve that they never will. That's right. And then (laughs) at 30, they say nothing about it, but Mm -hmm. quietly accept the fact and, if sensible, (laughs) console themselves by remembering that they have 20 more useful, happy years in which they may be learning to grow old gracefully. Now, I know that women married much younger than men in this time, right? So it's not necessarily, it is a little weird that Joe is 25 and not married, but it was also standard in families that had more than one daughter that one of the daughters would remain unmarried and look after the parents. That's true. So there was a, <laughs> don't laugh at the spinsters, dear girls, for often very tender, laugh. Yeah. tragical and- romances are hidden away in the hearts that beat so quietly under the sober gowns. When has Joe ever had a tender, tragical romance hidden away? I don't think, I don't think so. No, I mean, you know, I certainly missed it in my rereading. I, she did, yeah. doesn't. No, I mean, questions I was going to ask you. She doesn't have that, does she? <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I think that she wants to be a boy and run away to India with Laurie on a pirate ship. I think she wants that very badly, but that's not that's, a tender, tragical romance. They're having <laughs> fun and adventure together. Yeah. I, they're adventure boys. Yeah, she wants that. But she's. this is another... She's saying, oh, these sad, sour sisters, be kind to them, for they have missed the sweetest part of life. It's <laughs> She's really hamming it up. It's totally, No, she's totally hamming it up. And I yeah. will point you to mm-hmm. one thing that starts when she's yes. just about the literary spinster before she mm-hmm. goes on this little homily. She yeah. said, but it's not so bad as it looks, and one can get on quite happily if one has something in oneself. Yes. Back on. Yes. Which Joe does. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. right. She sets that down. And then we get into this hilarious collection of cliches. Yeah. And then she says, gentlemen, which means boys. <laughs> which is all, I, that's, that, yeah. that's just laugh out loud funny. Yeah. And, no matter how poor and plain and prim, be mm-hmm. courteous to the old names and serve and, womankind. That's right. For the yeah. old chival- only chivalry worth mm-hmm. having. Is that which is the readiest to pay deference to the old, protect the feeble, and serve womankind, regardless of rank, age, or color. Now, color is interesting to me because I think a lot of this, obviously, she says, this is tongue-in-cheek. Joe must have fallen asleep, as I dare say my reader has during this little homily. But we get this reference to serve womankind regardless of rank, age, or color. And it's one of the only times that the book acknowledges race or the black American struggle in this moment. So <laughs> she is, and, I think she is loudly and sincerely being like abolitionism, by the way. 
Yeah, I think, no, I, or yeah. yes, I think that's true. I mean, mm-hmm. think of the family she came from, Bronson Alcott. Yeah. She was surrounded by that. Mm-hmm. And and there's the quadroon that yes. is in the school later. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a word that Alcott uses. We don't say. But yeah, we, we don't say that. <laughs> that. That's in quotation marks, y'all. Yes. Your <laughs> podcast. Yes. I come by y'all, honestly, I grew up in, I'm sorry to say this. Yes. Texas is not in my high marks right now, but anyway. Yeah, I I completely understand. Now, so this is all very funny. It's tongue-in-cheek. Joe must have fallen asleep, as I dare say my reader has during this little homily. homily. For suddenly, Lori's ghost seemed to stand before her, a substantial, lifelike ghost, Mm -hmm. leaning over her with the very look he used to wear when he felt a good deal and didn't like to show it. So already... yes. Newlywed Lori is showing up, looking at Joe, feeling a good deal and not wanting to show it. Let's let's just set that down. <laughs> yes, that's important. He's like, I'm totally over you. You and you and Amy switch places in my heart. Amy is my wife. You're my sister. But he is feeling a good deal and not liking to show it. So that's right. But like Jenny in the ballad, she could not think it he and lay staring up at him. Mm-hmm. In startled silence, now we'll pause there because then something really weird happens. Do you know what Alcott is talking about when she says Jenny in the ballad? Well, there were several popular ballads, 19th century, that all had Jenny. I meant to write all the names down of Jenny this, Jenny yes. that. What so, I, so I have the ballad. Good. It is called Auld Robin Gray by the yep. Scottish writer, yep, Lady Anne Lindsay Barnard. Yep. The ballad tells of the romance between the young lovers, Jenny and Jamie. This is, I'm reading from John Madison's annotations, The Annotated Little Women. While Jamie goes to sea to earn money to support a wife, Jenny's father breaks his arm, her mother falls ill, and the cow is stolen. Hearing that Jamie's ship has been wrecked at sea, Jenny no sooner consents to marry old Robin Gray than she is surprised by an approaching figure. I hadn't have been a wife a week, but only four. When mournful as I sat on the stain at the door, I saw my Jamie's wraith, for I could not think it he, till he said, I'm come home to marry thee. So, (laughs) Jenny in the ballad is a reference to a woman who thinks that her betrothed is dead, Dead. but then he comes back and says, I'm going to marry you. And so Alcott is saying, in this situation, Joe is just like the girl in that song. (laughs) And Lori is the ghost who's coming home to marry. <laughs> and he looks like an apparition, except he's an apparition who's fully formed. And yeah. he's not an apparition. Yeah. And he's feeling a good deal. He doesn't want to show it. Joe is just like Jenny in the ballad, waiting for her lover to come home. And he's just like the ghost who wants to marry her. So we're sitting with all that. And then he stooped and kissed her. And she's, oh, my teddy, my teddy. <laughs> I, you're, we're moving. He kissed her. Yeah, he kissed her. He kissed her. Yeah. And she's like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I think you don't like that very much, Peyton. I am extremely, I am just, I'm confused about her intentions. I'm confused about why they're Jenny and Jamie and why he's kissing her. And the only other time in the book that he kissed her was when he was like, good news, mom's coming. I got your mom's coming home to to heal Beth. And she runs at him and then he kisses her and she's like, back up. Yeah. In this case, he kisses her and she's like, oh, Teddy, oh, Teddy, I'm so happy to see you. In the, in, and notably, in the chapter before this one, she and Marmy have a discussion where she says, if Lori came back and asked me again, I might say yes. So that's... <laughs> Yeah. I can't. I. It's very, there is also, there was an earlier draft of the proposal rejection chapter where he kissed her violently, but that also did not end well. And then Alcott cut it from that chapter mm. in any case. So no, this kiss, he kisses her, doesn't say where or how, but. No, it doesn't. No, it's, but. Then she knew him and flew up crying joyfully. Yeah. He Kissed her, then she knew him. Fle- and what? what? She then she knew him because mm-hmm. until then she's yep. like post whatever, and yep. flew up 
crying joyfully, oh, my Teddy, oh, my Teddy. Dear Joe, are you glad to see me then? Glad, oh, my blessed boy, words can't express Express. my gladness. Where's Amy? (laughs) That's right. Yeah, that's exactly. (laughs) You have this memorized. (laughs) I just know that Lou Alcott is up in heaven looking down at us and just like, (laughs) yeah, he is. I have no doubt about that. And she's like, the publisher made me do it. I don't even think it's, she mentions that the publisher, there was some pressure, but it was those letters that you talked about. It was letters from girl readers who wanted to see Joe and Lori get together. And so- And making a living with her writing. Yes. Which the woman I've worked on, the queer Mm -hmm. woman I've worked on so much, Emily Mm -hmm. Dickinson, she didn't have to make a living with her writing. Yeah. She was- in a wealthy family. Mm-hmm. Makes a big difference. Yeah. Oh, completely. It was always economic for Lou. She was writing and publishing for money from a very young age. It's, yeah, I think at the beginning of this chapter, we get the ending that Alcott wanted for Joe, which is, well, you know what? I'm a literary spinster, but there is something in me that is going to make that okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then we just tumble into this pile of what is happening. So, Glad, my blessed boy. Words can't express my gladness. Where's Amy? Yeah. And then Laurie says, my wife. <laughs> and there was no getting my wife out of their clutches. That's the families. Yeah. Girl, what? My wife. <laughs> yeah. Pride and Laurie, did, he does say those two words with an unconscious pride and satisfaction. That's right. Which then he's, betrayed him. Yeah. Which betrayed him. And then he looked so guilty. He was he's proud a- and satisfied. And then... Joe was like, your wife? And now he looks so guilty. Yep. And he says, and- <laughs> oh, the Dickens. Oh, the Dickens. Oh, I've done it. And he looks and- so guilty <laughs> that Joe was down upon him like a flash. You've gone and got married? Yes, please. But I never will again. <laughs> Which is that's very funny. on his knees with a penitent clasping of hands and a face full of mischief, mirth, and triumph. Actually yep. married? Yeah, of all the ways that this scene could go, it's over the top and funny. She's like, mercy on us. What dreadful thing will you do next? It's for all the real emotions here. It's almost like they're using comedy to cover it up. Immediately, Lori starts being a ham and Joe is like falling into her seat with a gasp. They're both affecting like this doesn't have any impact. And when... Joe is hamming it up, and Lori's like, well, a characteristic but not exactly complimentary congratulations. She has not congratulated him. No, she hasn't. <laughs> no, in fact, right before that, she says, mercy <laughs> on us. What dreadful yeah. thing you do next. Yeah, and she's joking, but she's also, I, she's not. This is very weird and surprising, and get up, you ridiculous boy, and tell me all about it. And he says, not a word unless you let me come in my old place and promise not to barricade. So then she pats the sofa. They come down. They sit together. I, Joe's eyes plainly betrayed that she found her boy comelier than ever. Now, that is, that is what is happening there. What is that? Yeah, what is that? I mean, yeah. They're the sitting pillow. on the pillow. There was a barricade, nevertheless. Mm-hmm natural one raised mm-hmm. by time absence and change of heart yes. so the reason, yeah i don't want to breeze past there's a kind of a very sexy exchange where she says come and fess teddy and he goes how good it sounds to hear you say teddy no one ever calls me that but you what yep. does amy call you my lord hello like her <laughs> yes but joe says back that's like her yes well look it <laughs> yeah so and that's where she he looks than ever. Which is he? She's never found Lori Cumley. That's never no. been part of it. No, that's what I was telling you before. I was flipping back and yeah. saying, "What?" So then he says, "Don't I look like a married man and the head of the family?" And she's like, "Absolutely not, and you never will." <laughs> and he's like, "You really ought to treat me with more respect." And she's like, "How can I? The mere idea of you married and settled is so funny." I can't breathe. They're right. laughing and laughing. So then we kind of get the story of how the wedding happened. And it sounds like there was some pushback from the old relatives about Amy and Lori traveling unaccompanied and being unmarried. Without a chaperone. 
without a chaperone. So Lori was like, let's just be married and then we can do as we like, by which he means let's. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Which is so that's the other thing we forget in this. There's an earlier scene where Alcott kind of fades to black on Amy and Lori after they decide to get married. And it may be a sex scene. But in any case, this is Lori explicitly saying, well, (laughs) and we we clearly, yeah, we had to get married so that we could do as we like if you get my drift. And Joe's like, of course you did. You always have things to suit you. Not always. (laughs) Which again, Joe's like, tell me all about how you got married. And Lori's like, okay, so here we did. I'm married. But (laughs) by the way, I don't always get what I want. And then right. Joe interrupts and is like, "Ah, oh, let's talk more about the ant. This is yeah, crazy. How did you get and- the ant to agree. <laughs> it's just I now this so they get back to they're chattering away about the getting the ant and the wedding and all of that. And Lori quotes Amy and says, As my wife says. And yeah. my wife. My wife. <laughs> and Joe says, Aren't we proud of those two words? And don't we like to say them? And it's funny to me that she's using the royal we here. Yes. As if it's like, oh, does Joe want a wife? But also there's there are so many points earlier in the book where Joe and Lori melt into one another to the vanishing point and their identity is so deeply enmeshed. Mm-hmm. And here it's we in this context, re- yes, referring to Lori, but also she's the one saying we. Right. Me and Lori. Aren't we proud of those two words? And don't we like to say them? And oh, yes, that's exactly what she uh-huh. says. Yeah. So, so and that's interesting. They're both addressing the fire, according to they are and Lou. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're talking to the fire, but obviously they're talking to each other. Yeah, but, they're looking into the fire because interrupted mm-hmm. Joe addressing the fire in her turn and watching with delight the happy light it seemed to kindle mm-hmm. in the eyes that had been so tragically gloomy when she saw them last. Yes. So she's addressing the fire, then looking into his eyes. She's asking him a question about the marriage in a fever of feminine interest and curiosity, (laughs) which is interesting to me. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, the feminine interest. And Lori says, for even in our, a very quiet wedding, of course, for even in our happiness, we didn't forget dear little Beth. Joe put her hand in his as he said that. Mm-hmm. And Lori gently smoothed the little red pillow. Beth's. Yep. So we're on one kiss and one handhold mm-hmm. <laughs> in this conversation. I... Yep. And then there's one more thing. Joe says, why didn't you let us know in a quieter tone? Lori says, we wanted to surprise you, which I take to mean we didn't want to piss you off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Surprise. Surprise. Don't be mad at me. Yeah. And then he's talking about how the honeymoon was nice. Lori seemed to forget Joe for a minute. And Joe was glad of it for the fact that he told her these things so freely and naturally assured her that he had quite forgiven and forgot. Yes, that's almost exactly. Yep. So it's this ghost haunting this conversation. Lori is like, well, I don't always get what I want. And Joe's like, okay, well, maybe he's forgotten. She tried to draw away her hand, but as if he guessed the thought that prompted the half-involuntary impulse, Lori held it fast. Yep. They're holding hands. They're holding it. And he said, with a manly gravity she had never seen in him before. So we have fever of feminine interest. We have manly gravity. Manly gravity. Yep. These unusual qualities arising in both of them. And he says, Joe, dear, I want to say one thing. And then we'll put it by forever. That's right. (laughs) I never shall stop loving you. Right. Okay. But the love is altered. Right. And I have learned to see that it is better as it is. Amy and you changed places in my heart. That's all. I think it was meant to be so and would have come about naturally if I had waited as you tried to make me, but I never could be patient. And so I got a heartache. I was a boy then, headstrong and violent, and it took a hard lesson to show me my mistake. Yep. For it was one, Joe, as you said, and I found it out after making a fool of myself. And let's, I'm sorry, I'm just, (laughs) this is not a podcast where we just read the chapter, but I am just reading the chapter. I, well, you're reciting the chapter. Yeah. I'm I'm doing a dramatic reading. 
He said it was a mistake. The chapter before this one, Joe was saying, if he asked me again, I might say yes. Right. I probably would. <laughs> right. Yeah. I and and in the chapter before this too, when she's thinking, well, maybe I could get together with Lori mm-hmm. and be happy. Isn't that where her mother also says, well, you need to write. Yes. And she yep. can't write, but then she sits down and starts mm-hmm. to write like a fiend. Yep. So again, the only way is being a literary spinster. But it sounds as Lori became convinced that it was a mistake and Joe maybe became convinced of the opposite. But Lori says, I was so tumbled up in my mind at one time that I didn't know which I loved best. You were Amy and tried to love you both alike. Right. Mm-hmm. And when I saw her in Switzerland, everything seemed to clear up all at once. You both got right. into your right places. I felt sure that it was well off with the old love before it was on with the new, that I could honestly share my heart between sister Joe and wife Amy. This phrasing, will you believe it? <laughs> he has laid out a story for her. He has presented a narrative and he is asking her to believe it. He is. And yeah. he's nostalgic too. He says- yeah. Will you believe it and go back to the happy old times when we first knew one another? And she replies, yes. and I think this is, I'll believe it with all my heart, but Teddy, mm-hmm. we never can go back, can yeah. be in girl again. Yeah. The old mm-hmm. times can't come back and we mustn't expect it. So yeah. Alcott's there is pretty... She just slaps yeah. the romantic nostalgia right down. She does. Yeah. It's, she says playtime is over. They have been bantering back and forth, but this section is serious as a heart attack. And she's saying it's over. It is over. I think what's curious to me about this section, among many things, is the phrasing of will you believe it and I'll believe it with all my heart. It's not like he's saying I am in love with Amy that's the facts. You have to accept that. He's saying, will you believe it? He's asking, he's saying, I felt sure that I could do this. Will you believe? I need you to believe this to validate it. And she says, yes, I will. It's such weird phrasing. It feels to me like looking right past the, agreeing to ignore the elephant in the room. Exactly. Yeah. I shall miss my boy, but I shall love the man as much. Yep. We can't be playmates yeah. any longer, but we will be brother and sister to love and help one another all our lives. Won't we, Lori? Won't we, Lori? I mean, yeah. Which is, it's very, it's similar to kind of the platonic vows that they use to end the first half of the book. But mm-hmm. I don't buy it <laughs> because she is still and presently writing these two characters To a degree that even she hasn't before, writing them as if they are in love with one another. Right. There's another interesting moment here, and I I don't want to keep you too long, but there is... I'm going to talk about. Love and help each other all our lives won't be Lori. They've been gripping hands. So this is maybe, he did not say a word, but took the hand she offered him. So maybe now they're holding both hands, right? That's how I read it. Yeah. But he did not say a word, but took the hand she offered him and laid his face down on it for a minute, Mm -hmm. feeling that out of the grave of a boyish passion, there had risen a beautiful, strong friendship to bless them both. So he doesn't reply to, we will be brother and sister and love each other and help each other. He goes silent and lays his hand down on on the hands that they're holding. Right. And it's funny, this this out of the grave of a boyish passion, one way to read that is his boyish crush on Joe. But out of the grave of a boyish passion, is that Joe's boyish passion? It could be either. It's ambiguous. It, yeah. And I yeah. think that's purposeful. Our mm-hmm. friend Luke doing that. Yeah. And then <laughs> presently, Joe said cheerfully, for she didn't want the coming home to be a sad one. Lori is sad. Yeah. He's saying, will you believe this, that, and she's like, yeah, I will, but, (laughs) and he's sad. So uh, I, even as she has just said, playtime is over. We can't be boy and girl. We're man and woman. We can't be little playmates. She says, I can't make it true that you children are really. (laughs) 
Yeah. And she and she says our narrator says explicitly that mm-hmm. Joe didn't want, I mean, he referred to yeah. this, the homecoming to be a sad one. So she's yeah. trying to intervene. Yeah, she's trying to intervene. He is sad about this, <laughs> the way this conversation is going. She has just said we can't be children. And now she says, you children, referring to Lori and Amy and saying it's insane that you're married and you're going to set up house after she has just said we're grown up. Childhood is over. I I can't so, make it true that you children are really married and going to no. set up so, I was just putting on Amy's pinafore and pulling your hair when you teased. Mercy me, how time does fly. Yeah, he says, and as she's replying, we she knows she has, they don't want to be sad, but he's sad that they left her alone to bear Beth's death. And he says, I touched, when I touched the cushion just now, I found a tear on it. That's right. So he's sad and she's sad. You've had a great deal to bear and had to bear it all alone. What a selfish beast I've been. Mm-hmm. And Joe turns over that pillow with the tear on it and in a tone which she tries to make cheerful says, no, 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 I'm completely fine. It was, In fact, it made me happy to think that you and Amy were happy. It made it easier <laughs> for me. To... <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. mind telling you that. Yeah. Which is, it's just very, there's some dishonesty seeping through yes. in the dialogue, which is very interesting. And she says, I am lonely sometimes, but I dare say it's good for me. And you never shall be again, broken Lori, putting his arm about her. <laughs> and he says, Amy and I can't get on without you. So you must come and teach the children the to children keep house, house. And, and go, go halves and everything. Just as we used to do. Used and let, us, and pet let us pet you. <laughs> And all all be blissfully happy and friendly together. Which is insane. That is insane. Circus peanuts, crazy cuckoo bananas. Yeah. It is, as I said earlier, it's like, I know I married Amy, but why don't you just come live with us? And I know you just said we can't be boys and girls again and play house, but let's do that. Right. (laughs) Well, and you know, I mean, you said something a while ago, Mm -hmm. two or three minutes ago about... There's something dishonest about this, or there's oh, a little seeping yeah. through. And I, this that reminded me of an older book of criticism by Rene Girard called Deceit, Desire, and the Novel. And he talks yep. about triangular desires. Tri- yes, <laughs> which, which is definitely happening here. Yeah. It's so, Joe gives this talk about how we can't be boy and girl again. And then he's like, well, come and teach us children to keep house. And she doesn't even say, Lori, I just told you that we can't. Right. She says, if I shouldn't be in the way, it would be very pleasant. I begin to feel quite young already. I'm already. <laughs> She's just said, we're grown up. We're old. And then they walk it back immediately. It is so weird, this chapter. So I feel like we have not even gotten to the Professor Bear stuff. We haven't. I, but I will we, say something we should point out is that mm-hmm. he starts to call her grandma. That is rude. I mean, which again, that feels like the moment is getting intimate and he's trying to make it and he's trying to make it less so. Right. Dropping tears one minute, laughing the next. What is it, grandma? It, right, he's like, OK, it, let's get us. We're in dangerous territory here. Then he says that Amy rules. She dominates. I love that. Amy will rule you all the days of your life. We, we've talked about how even Amy and Lori's relationship is a bit unconventional because Amy really, in the scene where she picks him up, she is like holding the reins to the horses and driving and she doesn't let him drive. That's right. When they're in the rowboat, Amy has an oar and she's rowing with him. There's, it's a very, and and now he's explicitly saying she rules. It's a sort of woman who knows how to rule well. Yes. In fact, I rather like it, for she winds one round her finger as softly and prettily as a skein of silk. and Makes you feel as if she were doing you a favor all the while. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, just, it's very... This is kind of what I can dig about Amy and Lori, is the degree to which it is Lori submitting in a real way, which is interesting to me. And yeah. enjoying that. I don't want to keep you here much longer. I feel like there's so much we haven't covered about Professor Bear... Sure, we have anything that we just want to get to as b- b- I, I feel like we've covered broad strokes, kind of the latter half of this mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. Anything that you want to touch on in that section? Well, of course, when Professor Bear drops by. Yes. He is absolutely delighted. She forgets 
to hide her joy at seeing him because they're playing games with each other. Right. Yeah. Selves, and showed it with a frankness that proved irresistible to the solitary man whose welcome far exceeded his boldest hopes. And then <laughs> charms the family. Good in conversation. And the, she says, father, mother, this is my friend, Mr. Bear, mm-hmm. or Professor Bear. And she says, with a face and tone of such irrepressible pride and pleasure that she might as well. But I mentioned this before, but yes. it's, it's, I think it's. Yeah. Trump in it. Or with the flourish. Mm-hmm. So then he carries on with the family. You talked before about how Lori sort of looking on and Bear is talking to Joe, but looking at Lori. There's this thing yep. with triangles and men's and homosocial yep. desire and queer desire. Uh-huh. And dear old fellow, he couldn't have got himself up with more care if he'd been going a wooing, Joe says. To yes. Then and then she realizes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then that's where they drop the ball or she drops the yeah. old knitting yarn. She drops the sock, bonks heads with Professor Bear. Yep. Uh, they they sing to remember they, Beth. They saw stars. <laughs> they saw stars. Yep. Yep. And she suggests yeah. they must have a good old sing. Uh-huh. He then su- says, you will sing with me. We go excellent, excellently well together. A pleasing fiction, by the way, for Joe had no more idea of music than a grasshopper. Yes. I, and that, to me, says Professor Bear doesn't know Joe. Yeah. <laughs> and what else? I There's an, Mr. Bear saying like a true German, hardly and well, and Joe soon subsided into a subdued hum, which right. I hate. Yeah. Well, of course. I don't like Joe subsiding. I yep. don't like her subdued. I don't like her humming. You don't like her pulling herself back, which she's I doing. don't. I don't care for I don't it. like it either. No. <laughs> and I don't care if readers demanded it. No. No. And like- readers, nobody asked for this is the thing. Nobody right. asked for this. Right. And it's almost like Alcott is saying, oh, you, you wanted her to get married. I'm going to make it as painful as possible. As painful and as hilarious. I mean, yeah. I think he's sending up this yeah. marriage. Don't you? Oh, I mean, 100. 100%. Yeah. I, this, in the last chapter, she's lying awake and Professor Bear, we get a little look at Professor Bear in his own bed. Mm-hmm. If Joe had seen his face when safe in his own room, he looked at the picture of a severe and rigid young lady. <laughs> yes. And Which is so funny. It's hilarious. Yeah. It's not, she's like the beautiful it Joe. It's, she's severe and rigid. Yeah. <laughs> and he kisses it in the dark. Yes. He turns off the gas because I, I think it's so funny that the photo that he's kissing is she looks severe and rigid. I do, too. She she's gazing darkly into futurity, <laughs> and then he turns off the light. Yes, <laughs> then it's she's like, "I hate this. You hate this." Well, and What's... I wrote out in my margin, Alcott must have been laughing to herself. Oh, a hundred percent. It's so I hate this, <laughs> Martha. I truly hate this. Thank you for going on this journey with me. <laughs> I don't want to keep you here too much longer. Thank you for being here. Where can people find you online, in the world? How can they support your work? They can Google Martha Nell Smith, and they can look at the University of Maryland at the English mm-hmm. department. My, They'll see my email address there, mm-hmm. which is um, pretty easy to find. They should also look at emilydickinson.org. That is an exhibition website that I've been developing for quite some time. It started out as a very serious scholar. I mean, it's still a serious okay. scholarly website because I think that if learning, you don't do learning by fun, you're not going to learn. Yeah. So it has evolved into an exhibition space. Uh-huh. And so they should check that out. There are some digital articles there. The earliest iteration, if you go under exhibitions, is an update of Emily Dickinson writing a poem. And that is where she rewrites Safe in Their Alabaster Chambers, the second stanza of it, not once, 
not twice, not three times, but four times, trying to or responding to the critiques of Susan Dickinson. When I first noticed that, I said, who says she doesn't pay attention to her contemporary (laughs) audience? She certainly paid attention to Susan. And she wrote Susan far more poems, letters, and letter poems than she did anybody else. So look for me at Mm emilydickinson.org. Look for me at the University of Maryland English Department. You can find me there. Right. Let me know what's going on. Absolutely. And right now, by the way, I'm working on a biography of Susan Dickinson. (gasps) Oh, now that I will need to be seeing a copy of that. (laughs) I I will definitely send you a copy. It won't be out for a while because I'm working on it. You know how that goes. And biographies are, they take a long time. Yes. Absolutely. So we will look out for that. We will be heading to emilydickinson.org. As always, I'm your host, Peyton Thomas. You can find me online at peytonthomas.ca. You can buy my book, Both Sides Now, wherever you buy books. And now you can also find us on Instagram, where we are at Joe's Boys Pod. And again, if you want to leave us a rating, a review, that is so helpful. It's going to really help us book some cool guests for March Badness and beyond. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the new year. Mm-hmm.